Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I want to go to Pader Tobin uh, from Aintu, who joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Pader. Good afternoon to you. Uh, Pader, you're on for different reasons today, of course. Uh, you had a bit of a, a scare, I suppose, recently uh, when it comes to skin cancer, something we've been talking about quite a lot, particularly during the summer uh, with a lot of messages going out telling people, don't, you know, just because the sun isn't shining, you know, make sure you cover your skin as best possible or wear some sort of factor or whatever it happens to be. When, when did you first notice this, Pader? Yeah, so about um, last February or March, um, I noticed that there was a, a small scab uh, on the top of my scalp, and um, this, it was only about the size of a fingernail. Mm. Um, now, I do a bit of gardening, I keep a couple of hens, um, you clock your head off a tree now and again, and you might get a wee scrape. So uh, I didn't pay much attention to it. It, um, it wasn't really healing, so in around April, I got to get, became a little bit concerned about it, but... Because of the lockdown, obviously, um, I, there was a, an understanding that the doctor's surgeries were either not you know, functioning or were under fierce pressure. Um, so I wasn't rushing to the doctor's surgery at, at that stage. And as soon as the lockdown eased, then I got straight into the doctor. Okay. I and have a brother and, and we, when you say you were a bit concerned about it, at that point you knew it wasn't a scrape or a scratch. You knew it was something a little bit more sinister. Yeah. So you wanted to have it looked at and you wanted to see a dermatologist, I suppose. Yeah, so I, I had actually another little bump in my head previously that I had gone to the doctor to, uh, to talk about and the doctor told me that that one was fine. So this was another one beside it. I wasn't sure whether it was just a, a repeat type of, of, of kind of skin tag or was it something different? Um, so I went to the doctor anyways, um, and the doctor wasn't overly concerned because there was very little pigmentation around it, um, mm-hmm. but he gave me a biopsy anyways. And like, even the week after I went to the doctor, he took, the, took the, um, the stitch out of the biopsy hole and I asked him, like, had the results come through? And he said, no, yours is probably not I going know. to be it's, it's a, I've been in the situation, Pat, where it's like waiting for your leave insert results. It's, it. <laughs> it's dreadful. It's a dreadful situation to be in. It is. So um, 10 days later, anyway, I got that call that nobody wants. And uh, so the doctor proceeded to tell me, he says, Pat, I've got bad news for you. Um, it's a mid-sized melanoma tumor. Okay. And obviously, um, he was telling me the detail of it. About two minutes in, he kind of realized that I probably wasn't consuming that detail and he says, Patter, do you, want to, do you want me to speak to your the wife? Blood, the blood must have drained from your body at that particular moment. It does. It, it, a, a, a serious dark cloud just, you know, descends mm-hmm. on you. And within a matter of a few seconds, you know, the whole order of the world changes uh, yeah. in, in, your, in, in your perspective. So um, now my own wife had uh, melanoma skin cancer herself six years ago. Um, and, you know, we had some experience of it. And we also had some experience that you can get out of this. That you can yeah, the have prognosis is good, situation. isn't it, I suppose? Well, I, I would like to think the prognosis, because you've caught it reasonably early, I suppose, is the yeah. prognosis good for that? Yeah, so what, what, basically, very quickly then, we got into a situation where I had to get a, a disc excised from the top of my head, about the, double the size of a two-euro coin, that was taken out, and... Um, so what, they took the skin, is it? They literally, literally um, took, t- took the skin of a... Yeah, so a, a whole disc of it down about just under a centimetre, uh, cut it out of the top of the head, obviously, with local... And what, and what did they do? Did they put a, like a graft in? I'm sorry to be personal, but no, did they put a graft in, or did they stitch I, that I back together, what, or closed, or something? What happened was they, they left it open for, for about seven or eight weeks, and um, until I got the details of, you know, whether or not... 
they had taken all of it or not. Yeah. And um, then it became clear that they may not have got all of it uh, okay. and that they needed to go in for more. So about seven weeks after um, I, I had the initial excision, they went in and took about the size of the palm of my hand out of the top of my head. Oh, my. So um, th- that so was that, did that, So I, I'm sorry, Potter, because I haven't seen you recently, obviously. Sure. And, I'm, so, and I know you're a man who doesn't have a huge amount of hair. You shave, no. you shave your scalp, all right? So that would be very, very visible, um, very painful, I imagine, because the skin would be kind of stretching. So what's, what's there instead of the, the size of the palm of your hand? What's yeah, actually so, there at the moment? So right now they're taking the, uh, they're taking the skin grafts from my tie. And okay. They've, had, they've, they've replaced the, the chunk that's taken out with the skin grafts. And um, there's a bandage over at the moment. It's a, it's a very slow healing process because they go down nearly a centimetre deep. And um, it's obviously quite sore. It's, it's, I can it's, imagine. You yeah. know, you, can, even, you can't really sleep well with it because... It's even when you kind of frown, I imagine, it kind of pulls the skin a little bit and, and it's quite probably well, it's, sore. It's, you don't realise it, but yeah. you, you're, 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 the skin on your um, scalp moves it does, of course, around yeah. when you laugh, when you talk. Facial expressions, even, you know, frowning or whatever it happens to be. And yeah, when you course. lie down on, on, on the pillow, it slides a little bit. And when you've got a grass there that's been held, I suppose it's slightly tenuous fashion, it's just pulling at it all the time. Um, but anyways, thank God, like, I got results back from that particular um, mm-hmm. excision. And they've told me that um, that excision, and they also took a lymph node out of my neck. They told me that it looks like they're fully clear. So you don't um, you don't have to have chemotherapy or anything like well, that. Well, no, no. Oh, it, right okay. now, I just have to have another. I have to have a PET scan to see has it travelled anywhere else. Okay, uh, and in, hopefully it in, won't have. And if that's clear, I should hopefully manage not to go through with. Okay, um, well that that's good news, Patter, and we're all glad to hear that. I, I'm particularly glad to hear that as well. Because, well thank you, because I do. I'm, I'm quite fond of you in politics. But anyway, but but in saying that, going forward, I suppose for other people, the message is: I mean, you got that because you're a man who shaves his head, and how long, by the way? I mean, when did, did you lose your hair quite young? I probably lost the, the, the probably lost a lot of my hair probably about ten years ago, and uh, just about five years ago, I said just to bite the bullet, shave that, shave the off, shave yeah. the head. And, and I suppose uh, the important thing is, you know, wear a hat or a cap. Well, there's I a couple of take-home points for me out of all of this. First of all, if anybody out there has something on their skin, um, they should really just just get it checked out. Whether yeah. or not, if a lot of men especially are kind of like they save up four or five ailments before they go to the doctor. Do you know what I mean? Um, Actually, I was in the same situation. I drive a car. When I'm driving a car, I drive in a very awkward fashion. I have my hands completely over the steering wheel and I drive with my wrists bent, right? Yeah. And subsequently, I ended up with these kind of dots on my skin right. and one of them uh, got a bit crispy kind of like and started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then it became itchy and then one day it started to bleed wow. uh, and I decided I, I went to my own doctor and in fairness to him within two weeks he had me with a dermatologist so again like yourself I had to have it removed um, and I had a couple of other ones that were there and I was asking her what are these dots I always were led to believe they were age spots yeah. that's, that's what I was told and she went well no there's no such thing as age spots that's just a nice name for them you know these are things that you should always Always keep an eye on if they get bigger or smaller. And it's because, again, my hands and the exposure. She asked me a couple of things. Do I ride a motorbike or whatever yeah. it is? It's because your hands are compl- always exposed. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's the way I drive the car. Sure. You know what I mean? That exposes them more so to the sun. So we, we need to be conscious of all these kind of things. Absolutely. And, and obviously, you know, it, it sounds really obvious, but sun cream and hats. Like, you know, skin cancer is the most common cancer in Ireland. There was 10,500 cases of non-melanoma skin cancer, I think, last year. Mm -hmm. About 1,100 cases of melanoma uh, last year. And melanoma has trebled in 20 years uh, in this country. And 160 people die from melanoma on an annual basis. And many of those deaths are preventable 
with just you know proper precautions. Um, the, the, the other really, I mean, the, the concern at the moment, Padre. I mean, the good news for everybody is, by the way, we've got better at detecting early sure. uh, with early diagnosis. That's why we're seeing more and more people. There's always this argument out there that why are suddenly more people getting cancer? They're not. We're better at diagnosing cancer now. Years ago, people wouldn't have been diagnosed, and they would have just they would have just died. Uh, but we're better at diagnosing cancers now. And, yeah. But the problem is, over the last seven months, this has fallen back badly, Pato, with the lockdowns, sure. with the restrictions. I mean, I understand, you know, public health warnings. I understand, you know, public health is obviously the thing that's most important. Mm. But we've got to put things into proportionality. We're losing sight of non-COVID-related problems. Absolutely. And, and this is one of the reasons why I decided to go public with this. And one of the reasons why we, we actually launched, we and a launched a campaign there two weeks ago on this. Because... Right now, because of the focus on uh, COVID, there's been such a cutback with regards to delivery of other services. So we know from uh, with regards to cancer screening services, um, you know, bowel and cervical were closed for a period of time. They're up and running, but... Mammograms were gone for quite a substantial time. And and, and breast cancer is still closed. So what really frustrates me is that you can go get a haircut, you can be in the physical space of a barber, but you can't actually get a breath check at the moment. And well, why, why is that, pattern? And I spoke about this. We spoke about something the other day, which is a father not being allowed in when his wife was being told that she was going to lose her baby, right? Um, and that wife, you know, we, we, we spoke to her and she was saying like, that the, the scary thing about it was three weeks after she had lost her baby, the two of them went out for a meal to a restaurant. She says, we can sit in a restaurant with a waiter serving us, but we can't go to a hospital where you would imagine, you know, hospitals are sterile places. They're trained to deal in sterile environments why we had to close these things or stop these things in the first place. And we had an oncologist on here from the UK about four or five, about two months ago, actually. And he told us that for every six months of lockdown and restrictions, they imagine, although it's unquantifiable, there could be 60,000 deaths in the UK long term. Long, yeah. That could be over the next five, ten years of undiagnosed cancers and, and ailments. Well, I, I spoke to a doctor just last week and that doctor um, has told me that, he, thankfully, he has no coronavirus deaths. But he has three patients who have had their uh, treatment significantly delayed uh, and significantly uh, reduced as a result of this. And he honestly believes that those three patients are not going to make it. And, so um, that will shorten their lives, it, yes. It, it, he, he thinks that these three particular p- patients are, 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 are going to suffer, that this cancer won't be able to be stopped. And, you know, they may hopefully get a number of years left still, but that their life will be significantly shortened. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, what I think is that the, the, the government, unfortunately, has tunnel vision. So it saw this wave of, of horrific deaths uh, across Europe uh, coming in our direction. And as a result, it's just literally shut down everything. We've got it. a knee-jerk. But look, I think, Potter, we all agreed with that knee-jerk reaction at the start because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Sure. But, but at this point, we've a very good idea what we're dealing with. And, and we're seeing the same trend across Europe where there's a lot of cases, but thankfully less deaths. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, there's experts out there who have given the reasons for that. I mean, and the reasons are glaringly obvious at this stage. I think we need to be very cautious in the way that we now restrict our life, because as Professor Collins from Manute recently said, you know, life is about quality, not just about quantity. In other words, you know, we like he had elderly people. He deals with geriatrics, and he had elderly people coming to him saying they wanted to die because they'd no quality left in their life. Well, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. And we know another example would be that uh, people with mental health issues, um, obviously, uh, over the last number of months, the vast majority of face-to-face, uh, in-person. Uh, consultations have actually stopped and um, you know we, we also know that in the month of August and uh, the number of suicides that happened in the state uh, were higher than the number of people who lost their lives to COVID and while we need to be cautious and always 
with the eyes open, making sure that you know there, there isn't a radical change in the trend with regards to uh, COVID. We also need to make sure that you know there's equality within the system. That well, proportionality person, is the word, isn't uh, it? Uh, there's balance. There has to be balance. Like you know, if if a person's life is under threat from from cancer or from mental health or from any other aspect, they're entitled to treatment like anybody else uh, in 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 this country. And um, you know, and, and I will agree with you. I, I honestly think that we learned we need to learn to live with COVID. And this is not something that's going to pass so, uh, in the next uh, couple of months. Well, it doesn't look like that's what the, the government want to do, Potter. It just, I mean, I know the, the new policy is out either today or tomorrow, the learning to live with COVID. But it seems to be more like learning to live with restrictions and lockdowns, more so than learning to live with COVID. Because, you know, obviously there's different experts out there who have different theories about how we should tackle this problem. But it seems to be here in Ireland, uh, we certainly have stricter measures than most of Europe, um, considering the amount of cases and deaths we have, uh, particularly ICU and deaths. But what we're doing every day is waking up with a new problem and making decisive decisions and knee-jerk decisions every day, rather than having a strategy. There's no long-term strategy. The strategy is, right now, is... We'll see what happens in the next seven days. And if the country uh, continues on with the strategy of see what happens in the next seven days, well, then there's going to be absolute radical damage done to whole significant sections of Irish society. And, you know, whether it's the health service that we we discussed here uh, or whether it's, you know, the the, the social fabric of our society. And AINTA is the only political party that has asked and and called for the opening up of of pubs around uh, uh, the country. And there is... You know, there's, there's whole elements of society that are really suffering in, in a significant way that will have big ramifications. Uh, but what, on, what, what is the problem? I mean, when, when you look at it, just finally, because I, I don't want to keep you too long, but in relation to, say, what we're seeing with cancer diagnosis and everything else, and there was a senior doctor there uh, from the HSC uh, in the Irish Times over the weekend, uh, gave his opinion. Now, whether he be right or whether he be wrong, he gave his opinion and believed we were overreacting completely in the proportionality and the way we're dealing with this. And he talked about quality of life, etc., etc. He was immediately, and I actually put it up on Twitter, I said, let's see how long it takes the HSE to discredit him. Within five hours, the HSE had distanced themselves from his comments. So in other words, anybody who even challenges it, of, it doesn't matter how credible they are, be they a doctor, a GP, a surgeon, it doesn't matter. Anybody who questions it is immediately discredited. Yeah, Why is that, do I, think? I, I think Ireland's biggest curse is groupthink in political terms. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those people who believes that we should be cautious around COVID, that we should social distance where we can, we should work yes. at home uh, where we can, we should be careful. Um, but Common sense approach, we, yes. We need to listen to the uh, voices right across the, the, the spectrum. And people need to be able to say that without in confidence. People shouldn't fear for their... their I, I know of a doctor in the, the north of Ireland who got a letter from the, uh, their doctor council to li- literally complain about the fact that they had opened their mouth around uh, concerns that they had with regards to the, the way the state is dealing with, with COVID. And if we, if we say to people that their jobs are in danger if they articulate a sincerely held view, well, then we can guarantee that we will delete those sincerely held views. And if we have no section of society questioning the, the majority of the group think uh, at any stage, that's a weakness. In well, well, the in group, well, the group think is nefit. Let's be clear about that, OK? We know who the group think. They're unelected people, obviously, giving advice to the government. And the government then should take that advice. In Northern Ireland, there's been questions asked today why, for example, the Northern Ireland government are not taking the advice of the chief medical officer because they won't lock the country down again. But in saying that, is it not a case that Neffet, uh, and I'm sure they're very intelligent people, but they have a, a particular view, is it not time that we should change that on a regular basis, that group of people on a regular basis, to different people, or 
to mix the views uh, so we can all come to some better conclusion. Because, of course, the economy, although let's not put money before lies, but the economy is important because if the economy goes down the toilet, which it will if we continue down this route, we will have no money for the health service. Well, I would be of the view that um, politicians have a responsibility uh, and to make decisions. And unfortunately, in this country, politicians like to outsource that decision-making. Um, they feel insulated from any difficult questions that might arise. Are they afraid to make decisions? They are, are, afraid are, they, are they afraid that Absolutely. if Nevitt if says, for example, uh, lock down Dublin, and they make a decision not to lock down Dublin, and let's say the debt rate rises by five people the following day, that they'll get the blame. Are they afraid to make decisions? I think they are. I do think that we should, as politicians, seek to get our information from uh, experts and people in the field who, who uh, have studied for years and who understand uh, these things. But I also believe that politicians have a responsibility, a democratic responsibility to the people that they represent. They need to take a bird's eye view over the whole of the, uh, of, of the country over the whole of society, and they need to have the, 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 the bravery to be able to make decisions uh, when necessary. And I, and I think, to be honest, within society, there's, there's a couple of things happening. There's a, there's a growing number of people who have come to the understanding that we do need to live with this and we need to be able to open up more. There's another section of society, which I find really interesting, who believes fully that we need to have restrictions but actually you're not living in that way at all. They're actually breaking all those restrictions themselves anyways. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's very, very interesting that people who, you know, who want to be pure but their behavior is, is not rep- representing uh, that at all. I, like, I will go back to the main point. We do need to be careful. But society needs to function. We need to live. Uh, we need to be able to make a living. Uh, businesses like pubs need to be able to make a living. Farmers who are living on their own, who, you know, who may not speak to anybody uh, all day, uh, need to be able to go to a social scene to be able to communicate and discuss how they're feeling for their own uh, mental health. And, and, and indeed, if you find something on your scalp, for example, that you're concerned about, you shouldn't have to put off waiting three or four weeks. You should be able to go to your GP and get a, you know, a referral to a hospital as soon as possible. Absolutely. There, there needs to be no more blockages within the health service whatsoever to anybody else who's suffering. Well, somebody just sent in a text and said, uh, Breast Check Mobile Unit is already 90% isolation unit ready. Heard someone on the radio in July tell PK, Pat Kenny, I assume, uh, that they had to modify mobile units for COVID and they'll be ready around October. This is pure laziness. Yeah, so, so I think what happens as well within, within the, the, the health service um, that there's just been nobody willing to take that decision, you know, willing to, to say, you know, get this up and running right now to make sure that these people um, survive, that these people get the treatments that they need in, in an orderly time. Unfortunately, the political situation in Ireland is very, very uh, um, centred in one space. All the political parties are now, you know, operating in lockstep, in, in unison with the one voice. Um, Gobby with the days we had opposition, huh? Well, and I'll tell you one thing, Now, the, the, the issue here is the lack of, of diversity within the media as well. Because the truth of the matter is, if a politician does have the backbone to speak, there's very few... Um, uh, uh, media outlets other than your own that will actually allow for that person the oxygen to be able to get their message across. And well, we, we have we have contacted, uh, well, Simon Harris before that, but Stephen Donnelly's office. And Stephen, by the way, was on this show regularly before he became Minister of Health. Couldn't get him off the air. Uh, but we've contacted his office on numerous occasions, so much so I actually went public on Twitter and asked him to come on the air. And uh, he refuses point blank to come on the air and talk to us. Well, I, I, unfortunately, I think um, Stephen Donnelly has 
uh, lost a significant level of credibility uh, over the last while. Well, he's been retweeting Jedward over the weekend. That really shows the level we're at now, doesn't it, to be honest and, with you? And, and that's not unusual for a Minister for Health from North Kildare, to be honest. All right, listen, Padder, I wish you well, and I and I hope um, that continues to be good news for you, and I hope uh, nothing else happens in, in that direction. And put your hat back on, I suppose. That's the, best, the best advice. Padder Tobin, thanks Thank very you. much indeed. Uh, all right, uh, loads and loads of people texting in, wishing Padder well. Uh, Padder from AIN2, the leader of AIN2, uh, and obviously believes that the media need to be talking to more people on both sides of the argument when it comes to proportionality around COVID-19. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.